I V M. Welcome to All Things Policy, a daily podcast supported by Pragati, a flagship media initiative of the Takshashila Institution. We're a bunch of policy nerds based in Bengaluru, and we like to bring a fresh perspective to Indian affairs and an Indian perspective to global affairs. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us for today's chat. Hello and welcome to All Things Policy. My name is Rohan Seth, and I am here today with Pratik Pagre and Sapni Chikrishna. In this podcast, we talk a lot about a range of tech, but today we are going to go back to the basics and look at digital communication networks. Speaking of something, of course, I have written an excellent paper on it. It talks about DCN's interaction with markets, with society, and it has some brilliant conclusions. Takshila offers great research, and I hope that you, dear reader, finds time to read it. But also, if you are interested in the kind of stuff that we talk about on this podcast, do try and check out our courses. We'll put the link in the show notes below. And um, in those courses, both Pratik and Sapni are involved, and we talk about a range of issues in tech. Right. Having said that, Pratik Sapni, welcome to All Things Policy. We are here to talk about your paper on DCNs. So, Pratik, why don't you take some time to tell us about what DCNs are, because it's a bit of an unusual definition. Yeah. Th- thanks, Anonya. I think it makes sense just to to recap what that term is and how we define it. Uh, right. So. Essentially, abbreviated DCN, but what we call digital communication networks. As a tool, you can think of them as broadly your social media platforms plus your closed messaging app and giving us some room for future proofing as and when more use cases come along. But we've defined it as you know a composite entity consisting of three things. Right? The first being capability. So that's essentially your, your internet-based products or services that enable instantaneous communication at either low cost or free. Right across a you know a range of geographical, social, and cultural boundaries. Right, not just communication. It can be one to one. It can be one to n. Right. It can be many to many. You know, and composing of all sorts of things like your various Twitter feeds, your live videos, etc. Right. So a whole a whole range of different types of use cases. The second part is our operators, and these essentially think of them as firms or groups right, uh, that that design and operate these services, right, which then pro- which provide these capabilities. And the last part, or the third part is our, our networks, right? Networks are essentially the various entities, groups, and individuals that use these products and services to to communicate, not or to communicate and interact. But also important to remember that when we say networks here, we're not referring to just networks on one particular product or service. We're talking, we're speaking of them across, uh, right, a whole range of different sets of products and services and how how they interact. And the purpose of this framing is right. We're trying to get, trying to draw focus on looking at them from the perspective of their, you know, the effect that they have on society as a whole, rather than just focusing on maybe a specific set of companies, a specific, you know, specific technologies, or a subset of harms that they might that they cause, or specific sharing mechanisms, or you know, very specific user bases and and, and that sort of thing. Right? So we're just we're trying to get you know, the, the idea is to you know, take a step back and look at. The broader picture, and that's what that 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 was the idea with the framing right, of digital communication network or a DCM that we'll refer to them for the rest of the episode. Yeah, I think that's a that's a pretty interesting definition you went with, Pratik, because it does so much work in cutting across contexts and different kinds of social networks, whether or not they're based on interest graphs or social graphs and so on. But tell me a little like this: what I generally hear when people are talking about social media and social networks, and in, in this case, DCNs, is that it. Basically, tech clash stuff, right? Uh, literature that talks about how terrible they are, but here you're talking about the benefits. So, uh, elaborate a little more on that. Yeah. So, this you know, in in many ways, this is a very interesting paper to write. And the reason we're looking at benefit now that there are multiple 
multiple levels or layers to this, right? One is from a from a purely procedural perspective, right? Given that our long-term uh, aim is to understand how India should govern these communication networks and the various effects they have on society, right? We need to be able to articulate both the harms as well as the benefits, right? Now, back in July, we had done this paper, you know, on where we enumerated harms and we categorized them as whether they were functions of market failure, social problems, or cognitive bias. And even in that paper, I think we had, we'd say that a future line of work for us was going to be to try and understand or try and enhance our understanding of the, of, of benefit. And during a lot of various internal discussions, plus looking at, to, you know, general conversations in the news, in, in the public space right now, it became clear to us that the benefits are not always, or not as self-evident as we might think, right? And certainly not to everyone. And then when we went back and tried to find uh, literature around this, we noticed that, and I'm doing, a, you know, I'm painting some of it with a little bit of, with broad breath strokes, but, but bear with me for a second. We, we found that a lot of it hadn't really involved, evolved from uh, what was being said in the, you know, late 2000, early 2010, right? Just post-Arab Spring, about it being a democratizing force and, you know, enabling media literacy and civic participation and, and things like that. Or there was research in very specific contexts, as in, you know, what's what happening in education, what's happening in healthcare, what's happening with government officials, etc. Right. Uh, but this was interesting because in contrast, right, over the last five, six years, there's been a lot of documentation of the harm, right? And we're getting we've, we've seen a lot of effort towards towards that end. And of course, while we were writing this paper, we also had, you know, that the whole thing about the Facebook paper, Facebook file, Facebook documents, right? Whatever you want to call them. Now, we've already done an episode of that, so I won't, uh, you know, there's no point going off the same, many of the same points. But one thing we did mention was that many of these revelations were not necessarily due to folks who've been following the space pretty closely, right? But at the same time, it did spotlight the arm conversation to a lot, lot more people, right? It brought that, brought a, brought a much larger focus onto that. And now imagine this in a world where, or an environment where, you know, already we have countries, geoblocks around the world that want to regulate the DCN firms and, and networks, right? And while they, you know, they absolutely must be held to account for the various corporate governance failures that, that we've seen over the last the couple of years that we, you know, we've seen come out, and especially what the Facebook papers also highlighted, uh, our societal level responses should not be, you know, should not be knee-jerk. And they shouldn't be ones that ultimately, you know, take away control from or, or take away power from civil society and citizens and then, you know, push that away from us. So because it's important for us to understand that uh, why it gets so challenging, right? That the same changes to the scale and structure of human networks, the speed of information flows, the, you know, the the, the fact that information coming that we come across is algorithmic selected. Now, while this plays a role in enabling harms, the same mechanisms also have a role in mitigating some of the harms or enabling benefits, right? Now, like, for example, there's very little chance an Indian citizen who was caught in, you know, in a precarious situation in some country would be able to get an external affairs minister uh, to respond, right? Or the way we saw, you know, very dedicated, motivated people coming together to coordinate and organize resources during the, the second day of COVID-19 in India, right? These, these uh, same dynamics played a role there. But okay, at the same time, I think we need, to be, we need to be watchful for certain things also that while stating benefits and opportunities, you know, and whatever else, it's important that we don't completely absolve DC and firms of their responsibility in, you know, whatever that is in perpetuating the harms, nor should we be giving them more credit than they do, right? And that's why what we've tried to do predominantly is that we focused more on the capability than the network aspect of the DCN definition. 
having said that, it's not completely possible to you know ignore the firm themselves, right? But that's that's how we went about approaching this paper and thinking about you know why we should be talking about benefits and how we should do that. Sapni, I think again building on what Pratik has mentioned, the idea that we have been empowered by DCNs is something that at this point many of us take for granted, and the benefits then and the intricacies of the benefits that act on very different spheres of life, that is something that has gotten very, very little attention. And that is what the objective of this particular paper has been. And while doing that, we we have not, we've clearly laid down that in the previous paper, of course, and even, even within this paper, we've pointed out the troubles that, that we have not, when we're least interested in absolving any sort of uh, liability that has to fall on these DCNs. So to find that right balance when it comes to regulation, as you know, Pratik has mentioned, but our long-term goal is to see how India can regulate these DCNs. So if that is the ultimate objective, it has to be seen that the intricacies of benefits are also observed with as much as much as possible with as much detail as we delve into the harms that they have created and then of course it, it's it's not ignorable definitely not so that that's the sort of approach we've taken and i think it is in in the long longer run particularly from the indian perspective uh, we probably don't see as much attention given to the benefits from an, a literature point of view at least as as uh, we looked into the sphere of uh, studies around dcns in india so I think this is a good contribution there. And while, that, while we continue doing that, we'll also look at the other aspects which can contribute to regulation from multiple perspectives and sort of strike that balance. Right. Great. Thanks. Um, I want to get into stuff about economic opportunities, economic efficiencies, the intersection of DCNs and the markets and so on. Because so I think it's a it's a great paper to read and a lot of insight that comes from it. But before we do that, let's take a quick commercial break. Hi, welcome back to All Things Policy. I've got Pratik and Sapni with me here. And um, I'd like to talk about the market fit of the paper that you've written. Because I think it's quite sort of underappreciated, if that's the correct term. Maybe I'm not fitting my words right. But the role that DCNs play, uh, the intersection that they have with their markets. So, Sapni, tell us a little more about that. So, at the intersection of DCNs and markets, we broadly looked at the economic opportunities that DCNs have created and the economic efficiencies that have been facilitated by DCNs. So, on the economic opportunities front, it's very interesting to see that DCNs essentially enable the creation of whole new ecosystems generating economic activities. You know, there are you know, highly niche areas of economic activity which were previously more or less non-existent. So they have they've tried they have helped in creating that. So an example would be the creator economy. The creator economy, a creator in a pre-DCN sense, is probably an artist of some sort in the broadest, widest definition that the word artist can have. But the ability and the set of tools that create an economy, which is more or less held by DCNs, has given people 
to look at it as a viable alternative opportunity is great. I mean, the Indian influencer marketing industry itself we, we look at, which is one part of the creator economy. It's it's pegged somewhere around, uh, you know, 70 to 150 million USD, correct us up. So that is a great opening of new ecosystem that has happened. And the, you know, the creator economy itself that, that further creates multiple other benefits, which are of economic nature, like it's offering direct support, these DCNs offering direct support, then it, it feeds into traditional media. Debatable if, uh, you know, we increase the quality of traditional media or decrease, but definitely it does uh, provide that sort of inflow of newer talent and newer content. Another interesting category of economic opportunity is how new categories of jobs have been created by DCNs. So previously, graphic designing or, or video editing, that's something with, that was very niche that was limited to the kinds of probably your ad industry or print and display ad industry, which was which was not part of the the broader picture as much as it is today. So that has been fueled a lot by by DCNs and and jobs like social media managers, community co- coordinators, content curators, and then the the uh, fueling of UX design and virtual assistants. The, these are things that barely existed, but a lot of it goes to the credit of internet itself. The boom of the internet culture happened a lot that can be credited to uh, DCNs as well. We also looked at uh, leveraging uh, network opportunities, as you were mentioning, so rightly the the idea of social graphics, etc., which we'll definitely come to later in greater detail. But those sorts of networks, to leverage those networks for job opportunities. So in the US, I think we saw that sometime during the 2008 recession. And, and in India, we saw that quite a bit during the pandemic where connections on DCN, so whether it be your followers, other people you follow on Twitter, on, on Instagram, etc. Those connections, that could be leveraged for work, whether it could be full-time work or it has helped a lot of people who do freelance work as well. And we also look broadly, in addition to this new ecosystem certification, we also look at the benefits for Indian businesses. So that includes a, a push that Indian businesses got for cross-border growth and how advertisement, the entire advertisement industry itself has become more amenable to the not-so-big players. So, and then targeted advertisements, definitely they have benefited these smaller sort of businesses where now a lot of cross-country level uh, trade happens and it has obviously benefited even the bigger players. So an example I think we uh, use is, is, is how the uh, range which the subdesarchies of, of our day have and, and how that is fueled a lot by Instagram and how his Instagram benefits greatly and that doesn't benefit just that brand. It also trickles down to the artisans who are involved in it. And another very interesting case study is how thrifting as, as an activity was pretty shunned in, in India that, you know, we, we do not use clothes that were used by somebody else. But DCNs have essentially created that entire ecosystem where this is seen as a cool thing today. And those sort of opportunities, you know, breaking into that market, which was completely non-existent, 
it is heavily supported by DCNs. And coming back to the advertising point, I think the the reach that smaller businesses themselves have, the opportunities for sustenance in the form of newer revenue sources, in addition to the mere access to more targeted advertisement, is pretty underappreciated. So when it comes to many DCNs that operate on advertisement-supported business models, they do provide access to their services in return for users, uh, tracking users' activities. Obviously, the privacy question is there and we cannot ignore that. We, and th- that's definitely a thorn there, right? But the business model does enable trade-off for access to spaces that would otherwise be inaccessible. And this has also contributed to the creation of other, you know, mimicking other forms of uh, revenue generation, such as uh, subscriptions and fees, etc., which would have been earlier difficult for smaller establishments. So that's that's broadly how we have uh, looked at economic opportunities that have been created. And we, while we move on to the economic efficiencies, we broadly divided it into one is the fact that there is greater access to information and that in itself creates an economic efficiency in the sense that, you know, there is more information to more people, which aids further information generation and cons- consumption in an information economy that we are in today. So they have really contributed to reduction in transaction costs. And this essentially proves why they, DCNs have created economic efficiencies through such greater access to information. And finally, we look at uh, online social graphs. So as you were mentioning earlier, so the Social graph, the idea of a social graph, which the term itself, which comes from that one speech which Zuckerberg made oh, almost a decade plus back. So that idea, how to leverage that social graph, the creation of this particular tool that has been identified and made easy to access by DCNs, that characterization itself they have entrenched this online social graph as an essential feature and they enable social travels. So it's basically how, while it helps a DCN itself, that tool itself, that characteristic of social graph itself is very useful for others who are on the DCN. So that has benefited the sharing economy businesses, that has benefited people creating social capital like creators and, and that further aids to creation of economic activity, right? So so that acts as a measure of trust for businesses and people and that has created that has contributed to creation of, you know, it's a consumer surplus which has benefited customers, I mean consumers in economic transactions. Right. I think that's um it's a pretty comprehensive view of the economic opportunities that DCNs present. But the other sort of uh, angle that you guys have looked at in the paper is of course the societal bit of it so Pratik do you want to take us to that yeah this was uh, a, a tricky one right because it was harder to find a lot of the things weren't really quantified when you're looking at something as wide ranging as you know societal level impact of the usage of DCN there wasn't really a way to quantify it that being said and aside for our listeners if you have if you know a way that you have ideas you know, reach out to us we're happy to talk and, and improve on the way we We've approached it. 
And there's also the fact that look, there isn't a lot of computational social science based research specifically in India. So we had to do this more qualitatively, right? Uh, now in order to do that, society being such a complex collection of you know various interacting entities, we first had to figure out a way to uh, to abstract this. Right? So we use the visualization of society that uh, Daniel Tordo and Christian Fuchs proposed in a book called Social Media Politics and the State. This is better understood with the diagram in the document, but let me let me try and uh, paint the picture. Right. So it basically says that you know this society is made of a certain number of overlapping subsystems. So you think of uh, you know you think of first your overlapping state and economic economic sphere. Right. You put them on top, and they they sort of side by side and they interact, they intersecting with each other. At the bottom, not intersecting with these is a uh, is a cultural sphere. Right. And in the middle, interacting with all three of these is a in the civil sphere, that's then, you know, that's overlapping with, with all three, right? Now, I, I don't know how good a job I've done of explaining that. So, you know, read the document, where this is better explained. But the idea with the three types of movements, which struggles for different ends by, by various actors who belong to different roles. I'll, I'll give you a few examples, right? So, for, for example, so if you have the, the socio-political system, which is then, so it defined as uh, a struggle for recognition of uh, collective identity by making demands on, on the state. Right. So your examples of this people in socio-political roles could include, you know, various activists or advocates for, you know, causes like privacy, feminism, LGBTQIA rights, anti-discrimination, etc. Then you have the socio-economic movement, which is essentially the, which they've defined as the struggle for the production and distribution of material resources created and distributed in the economic system. Right. And now you can think of this again as for the actors, you can think of, you know, people who are advocating of causes like uh, labor or worker rights, consumer protection, and things like that, right? Uh, and then there's the socio-cultural, which is essentially talking about shared interests or practices in the way that people organize their, their private life. And in addition to this, you also have, like I said, there is there is a state sphere, economic sphere, so you have political actors, like citizens, politicians, bureaucrats, etc. You have economic actors, like entrepreneurs, consumers, you know, employees of firms, managers, freelancers, etc. And then you also have private actors, like family, friends, users, your romantic partners, etc. But like I said, look, this is this is an abstraction, right? In in reality, people won't fall into people won't divide along these roles so so neatly. Right? You you will have overlaps across them. So so keep that in mind, right? As, as you're as, as you're reading this. The other thing that they did was so they used this. So then they then they used the idea of a triple C framework uh, to explain that DCS can enable actors to form tasks of creation, which is the first seed that comes in there is cognition. Then you can share them with others who will respond. So the second seed comes in that is communication, and then these are modified in an integrated manner. That's where the third seed comes in, which is uh, cooperation. And all of this occurs in the same same social space. Which for this context, you can think of you know the the capability that DCN operators have built and the networks and how, how they interact uh, across them. Right. So using this triple C framework, we try to then identify five kinds of actions or note that these are not mutually exclusive, right? They do, uh, they do overlap, right? And the first of these is essentially information consumption and production. Second is interaction. Third is identity formation and expression. Then there's organization and there's enabling financial transactions. So, and then in, you know, using examples, then we try to, to identify or try to, you know, provide examples of where this has happened, where, uh, you know, yeah, et cetera, right? Uh, there's a whole lot to go into, you know, we won't be able to cover it, cover it in the podcast. And again, it gives you a reason to go and go and read the paper, how, how we've done it. Uh, but that's the idea. And that's what we try to do with the society aspect of it. Right. I think um, 
if you do listen to the podcast or, or generally have skimmed to, you know, at 2x speed, read the paper anyway, because I think it's, there's good value in reading that. And Pratik and Sapni have done excellent research. With that, guys, do you have any final thoughts? I just want to add one thing, right? I think uh, now in doing this, we weren't able to, I think, capture some of the psychosocial elements uh, of that, right? Which is something, a point that we made even in the, uh, even the first paper when we spoke about the harm, right? And I think that that remains something that, that needs to be explored. I, it just that, you know, there isn't a lot of supporting research specifically in the Indian context to, to go about that. So, you know, we're, we're keeping an eye out for, for that for that sort of research. And hopefully, you know, we'll be able to update our understanding of, of benefit as and when more research is available on that front. Yeah, and, and essentially the idea of doing this was to sort of, it, so it's, it's called a discussion document, right? And we, we want to create that discussion, get people to, you know, to start thinking about uh, this aspect as well, as we were talking about, you know, being able to, uh, in, in making the trade-off, you need to be able to articulate both the benefit as well as the harm. And, and I'm sure there will be several people who might have disagreement with what we've written. And that's fine. We, you know, we want feedback. We want to hear what people think, uh, how we can improve this, because ultimately this is a process where fine-tuning uh, our understanding of, you know, harm and benefits towards the longer-term strategy of, you know, what India should do to govern uh, digital communication networks and the effect that they have. Great. Thank you. Sapni, do you have anything to add? I think something I've mentioned earlier, uh, and I think we at the risk of uh, reiterating that, so we earlier we've done episodes on how probably Australia and even the UK, et cetera, are thinking about regulating DCNs from this perspective of harms and benefits. So at this juncture, and as we have mentioned in other podcasts, that, you know, this that sort of a regulatory overflow in, in thought happens. And and at this point, I think it it, it is the right time in, in our space to think about this. And as Pratik mentioned, so while we are fine-tuning this necessary aspect of understanding this, the benefit harm paradigm, and that it's not clear, it's not a clear dichotomy is, is I think that's what we're trying to do with this discussion document and we'd be really happy to hear from our listeners and other stakeholders and to improve our understanding of how DCNs essentially operate before we think about hard and fast rules for regulation. Right. Thanks guys. Pleasure always recording with you. Uh, look forward to seeing all of you listeners at the next episode of All Things Policy. Thank you. If you liked our show, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can tune into them on the IVM podcast app, ivmpodcast.com, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow IVM on social media. The handle is at ivmpodcasts on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And hey, if you'd like to dive into Takshashila's research on technology, strategy and economic affairs, check us out at our Twitter handle at takshashilainst or our website takshashila.org.in.